Welcome to the Shining Light Podcast. This is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with Evil Wyatt. And today we're going to be looking at what is the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government. Now that is something, unfortunately, that is very relevant for today, wouldn't you say, Patrick? I think people are probably asking themselves that, especially with the way things are going, a little bit more often than what they used to. Yeah, it is. I mean, really, the the government grows in wickedness by the day, by the minute sometimes. I mean, we just had uh, the Congress basically go and reject a Born Alive Act that would allow doctors to give uh, help to babies that survived abortions. Yeah, and that was, that was in the Senate. And the fact that they do things so openly now shows that they understand, at least in their thinking, that the culture, society doesn't really care or is on their side. You wouldn't used to be able to get away with this stuff. Politicians can only be so evil as what the citizenry or the voters specifically allow. And it's just to show how far we've slipped as a society. Yeah, that really is the sad thing is that uh, we have undoubtedly gone and unfortunately showed our true colors as a nation as we've elected uh, people who would stand for this kind of wickedness. Uh, but that does bring me to a question as we were going over this idea of uh, our, the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government. What is the responsibility of a government to begin with? What is the purpose for a government, Patrick? Well, it would be to, if you want to look at it biblically, which would also be echoed by what the founding fathers said when they made this a nation, um, it would be to protect righteousness, or we would say God's laws for the good of the people, individuals, and to punish wickedness, which is obviously the opposite of protecting righteousness. That's absolutely right. And, uh, of course, we, we find that right away in, not quite right away in Genesis, but in Genesis chapter 9, where God goes and he actually institutes government. And do you remember what, what that institution was there in Genesis chapter 9? You mean the different forms of government? Uh, well, the, the the specific command that God gave in Genesis 9. I, this, I'm just throwing you a curveball here. That one's got me right now a little bit flustered, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first time in over 60 episodes that I've flustered Patrick, so uh, I'm feeling pretty good about myself now. You've accomplished great things today. <laughs> And as soon as I say he's going to go, oh, yeah, duh, Uh, the the death penalty or capital punishment. Oh, yeah, duh. See? See? And it didn't matter. After I said he was going to say, oh, yeah, duh, he he was going to do that anyway. Because, yeah, because thou shalt not kill, um, because we're made in the image of God. Now, is that 9 or is that 12? That's actually actually, uh, later on. This is right after uh, Noah gets off the ark, and he gives the command to avenge the blood. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So, That's in, I think, 12. It, oh, oh, is it 12? Do I have the, the wrong chapter? No, 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 no. I think you're right in oh, what okay. you're saying, yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. We're both confused now, so hopefully you guys followed that because we sure didn't. I just got back in the gym. I'm still trying to get blood back to my brain. <laughs> I'm still just trying to have a brain. That's my problem. <laughs> but uh, it, I don't really remember where I was going with that. Yeah, the the commandment. What was the first of government? The first. Oh, oh, the first f- government. The, the first. See, com- I did remember that. There we go. The first commandment of government. That's right. Uh, the the idea here that we are to go and and God instituted capital punishment, of course, to uh, punish wickedness and to protect the innocent, just as Patrick said, uh, because it discourages the wicked from going and killing somebody if they're going to have to pay with their own life. 
And of course, then you look at the other idea of this is that the, the innocent then are protected because they're not being killed, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good protection there. Yeah, and, and when we talk about an exodus, the thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder is, is the most proper interpretation of that. And murder is the taking of innocent human life. So let's make a, a, a difference between there are times when, when killing is prescribed such as a death penalty for somebody that's not innocent who's uh, committed heinous crimes or something of that sort, also in war. But murder is the taking of innocent human life. That's, that's absolutely right. And uh, we, we look at this, this is important to understand because when we go and we look at, is a government becoming wicked? And then what is the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government? It's important that we understand what the purpose of government is. Because if we don't understand the purpose of government, we won't know if they've gone outside of God's bounds. But, but what does a wicked government look like in today's society? What are some of the things that might be red flags of a wicked government? Or maybe throughout all history, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be right now in today's society. Yeah, I mean, you look at history and you also look at a lot of places around the world today. A wicked government is characterized by the dictatorial rule of an individual or a group of individuals completely outside of God's moral laws. So everything is predicated in their way of thinking on sustaining their government and sustaining their power to the detriment of the individual. And of course, in a lot of these cases, what you're having is governments that will outlaw God because fidelity to God supersedes necessarily by faith allegiance to government. So they want to get God out of the picture so that they, in fact, can become God. Who lives and who dies being part of that decree of government. Government becomes the highest authority over over anything. There is no God. So there's one indication right there. So I guess you could say, in, in, including in our government today, a nation, especially like ours, that was founded on pr Christian principles and had a Christian faith throughout society, that society and that government that drift away from God, away from God's moral precepts, um, is kind of the definition, well, obviously is the definition of evil. So basically what you're saying is a government that steps outside of uh, their delegated authority and steals authority from God. Yeah, and it's even in our on our founding, you look at the Declaration of Independence, and then you look at affirmations of the Constitution, the amendments to the Constitution. You look at the laws that were in place when the Constitution was ratified in the individual states at that time, and you'll see a, a Christian founding. Fast forward to today, those laws still mean today what they meant then, mm -hmm. but now they're being ignored in the limits that was placed on government, because that's what the Constitution was about. Our Constitutional Republic was about placing defined limits on government so it would not become the tyrannical force that all governments that the founders had just saw through history and just dealt with in England, that we would not become that. But we, over the drift of time, despite their best efforts, th these were good in, in their thinking, the best they could come up with, but no... Uh, invention of man is going to be perfect. So the system itself, there are, there are flaws in it because man is flawed. And there are those that have exploited that system over the last 240 some years. And uh, we're not where we're supposed to be or what the founders envisioned. We're not that same uh, country and we're certainly not that same people. And, and so what you're hitting on is that really morality doesn't evolve. Is that is that a pretty good uh, uh, definition there that it doesn't evolve? It's, although we're told it does. Now, now cultures devolve, I would say, especially when a culture <laughs> starts out as a, as a Christian culture. 
But no, morality is immutable. It comes from God. What God declares to be moral human law is moral human law, um, despite what man would say or a consensus of men would say. And of course, is again, those that are apart from God and rebellion to God tell us vastly different. And most people today, unfortunately, listen to society and don't read their Bibles. Now we have uh, put down in our in our notes that we uh, that we we put together ahead of time. We're, we started to do that. I'm kind of proud of ourselves for for doing that. We we used to not do notes, so now we're really <laughs> going to be messed up. But no, <laughs> uh, we have this down: um, how government can go out of bounds. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Uh, that among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the uh, consent of the governed. Now, uh, that first part of that quote there, that's from the Declaration of Independence, if I'm... Second paragraph. Right, the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. And so, uh, would it be right to say that a government is wicked, they've gone out of bounds, when they start to go and to infringe or quit defending those three rights. Yeah, and, and it's talking about endowed by their creator, and their creator is God, of course. It means nothing else but God, the God of the Bible, not the God of the Quran or anything else. Uh, unalienable rights are rights that cannot be taken away from you. These are given to you by God, so you can't give them away. You can't sell them. Government or any group of men cannot take them away from you lawfully in God's eyes. Now, certainly, you can be deprived of your life in the defense of your rights, but this is not lawful before God, whether it's an individual doing it or whether it's an official government agent. At that point, government becomes illegitimate when they're doing these things that we're talking about here, when they try to take away those rights. Here on the Shining Light Podcast today, we've been looking at uh, what is the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government. And remember, you can follow us on iTunes. If you go and type in the Shining Light Podcast, you can also find all kinds of articles and different things like that at theshininglightministries.com. Once again, that's theshininglightministries.com. But we've been looking at what is the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government. And uh, we've been talking about the three unalienable or, um, or uh, for sure rights that we have, rights that cannot be, be taken away. Would we say. Foundational, that's the word yeah. I was looking for, foundational. <laughs> and, of course, that's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And uh, What is the pursuit of happiness? Does that mean anything that makes me happy, whether it's moral or immoral? I mean, what does that mean? I am glad you asked because I was wondering how to get to a segue to this uh, to these quotes from uh, Sir William Blackstone. So that was perfect right there because I was thinking, boy, how do I get from here to there? But Patrick knew the way, so that was perfect. Uh, Sir William Blackstone goes and defines this, which, by the way, uh, could you tell the people a little bit about Sir William Blackstone? Sir William Blackstone was an English jurist, that is, judge. And he wrote, uh, what was the name of that book? The something. The Commentaries on the Laws of England. Yeah, the Commentaries on the Laws of England, which became basically the law handbook of our founding fathers. They based their view of law, and of course, Blackstone based his view on, on the common laws and, and God's laws and natural laws of the last 1,500 years prior. So basically, Western civilization. So Blackstone was commenting from that position. The founders read Blackstone. Um, as far as his commentaries on laws, he was very instructive in the way our nation is going to be found, how our jurisprudence in the United States of America would be laid out. And so that's William Blackstone. I, I believe, I think it was Blackstone that Jefferson said on his commentaries on the laws of England that lawyers in America, that was after our founding, 
looked at that and read it with the rev same reverence that the Muslims read the Quran. That was Jefferson's quote. Hmm. I believe I, that's what it was. I I I. I don't know that I've uh, read that quote, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I, is, if you're a familiar listener with the Shining Light podcast, you know that I have a fond likening for uh, John Adams, and he was a lawyer, and so uh, I know that he really liked uh, Blackstone. Uh, but anyway, Blackstone goes and he defines the pursuit of happiness this way. I've got two different quotes. He says that man should pursue his own happiness. This is the foundation of what we call ethics or natural law. And then he says that this or that action tends to man's real happiness and therefore the very justly concluding that the performance of it is part of the law of nature or on the other hand that this or that action is destructive of man's real happiness and therefore that uh, that law of nature forbids it. So uh, the pursuit of happiness isn't really talking about going and doing what you want to do. That's what we think of today, though. Whatever right. thing that I want to be gratified with, whatever sin catches my eye, if I go out and it makes me happy in the moment, then I have a right to do that, a right to sin in, in essence. Right. In fact, I'd say the pursuit of happiness is generally used to say uh, that somebody has the right to homosexuality, right? Yeah, that's what we're told. Yeah. Now, the pursuit of happiness in the historic context and what it's talking about, which, um, I mean, that's very important to actually know what the intention of a phrase is. Otherwise, you're really a postmodernist. Uh, the, the actual intention of it was to say that the person doesn't have a right to be a homosexual because it's against the law of nature. It's damaging to that individual. It brings up all kinds of risks to that person. So therefore, they don't have that right. That's actually the right of the pursuit of happiness, that the laws would restrain us from doing what's bad in our life and would spur us to do what's good. There, there are a lot of people that do not differentiate or know the difference between a right and a choice is both given to us by God. The right, right is something that you can exercise that God gives you that does not have the penalty of his moral laws. So exercising the right, let's say, of self-defense or the right to be married to a, a person of the opposite sex, one. These are rights. Um, sin is a choice, not a right. When you take a mm -hmm. choice, then you put yourself in the penalty of, of the law or the penalty of God's laws by sinning. So a right is something that can be exercised without God's penalty because it's something he gives you that he exercised in the right way, of course. And then a choice is, since he gives you the ability to do so, to make a choice against his laws and to sin against him. So there is a difference between rights and choices. So, so far we've gone and we've uh, discussed what a wicked government is. And uh, just, just want to review really quick. Essentially, to sum it all up, a wicked government is something that is a government that goes outside of the the delegated authority that God has given it so therefore goes outside of God's laws uh, and therefore is one that is depriving its people of one or all of or two of the three unalienable rights yeah and typically when they're going after one they end up taking all three you know it's it's hard to have liberty when you're dead it's it's hard <laughs> hard to pursue happiness when either you're dead or your liberty's been taken away from you and you live in some sort of a dictatorial regime. So usually when you're grabbing at the first or any of those, it's directly affecting the other two. 
That's that's absolutely right. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think of this, of course, when it comes to abortion is the biggest thing, the hot topic issue, the, 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 the real thing that's, that's on the forefront of the battle lines. Uh, and we look at the, the depriving of life today. Well, that child isn't just deprived of the right to life. They're also deprived of the right to liberty and the right to pursue happiness or even to own property, uh, which would be more in the um, state constitutions, or at least our state constitution is what it says instead of the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And the reason the founders made it pursuit of happiness, we've talked about this before, is at the time the constitution was going to, to a, 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 before the people to be ratified, if it said the right to own property because slavery was a contentious issue and many did not want to see slavery continue, and thank God we finally got rid of it, um, they would use that to say the right to own property is the right to own slaves because slaves were considered property. So the founders in wisdom decided not to word it that way so as to not encourage the idea that the founders were in favor, all of them were in favor of slavery. Some certainly were, and that was a compromise that had to be reached at that time because without that compromise, there were enough people that were for slavery still, they would not have ratified the Constitution. So you could say it was a stopgap measure to get the Constitution ratified, have our form of government established, and then work on it from there. That's absolutely right. So I will come back to that original question. What is the Christian's responsibility to a wicked government? Well, the founders in the Declaration kind of go on Maybe this would be an appropriate spot to read this quote before we answer that question in our own words. And this is also in the Declaration of Independence, that whenever any form of government, this is in the second paragraph, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, which is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, that being government, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall see most likely to affect their safety and happiness. So, the found, because that's exactly what the founders did, that's what the Declaration was doing, was to alter and abolish that form of government, which was King George in England, English rule over the colonies, and establish a new government. So when government becomes illegitimate, and of course they go on after that to talk about, you know, we don't do these things in a light and transient way. In fact, people are, are prone to accept a lot of abuses before they're finally moved when they have no other options towards this abolishing of government, which in their case was, was revolution. It was a violent revolution. But that, that's what the founders said our responsibilities were as citizens, so um, to ourselves and to our nation. That brings to get up the interesting point, is that an option for us today and of interest, we're a vastly different people than we were in 1776. The reason we succeeded was not just because our cause was, was righteous in and of itself. It's because we beseeched God, and God mm -hmm. saw through his providence to give victory to a group that really was fighting the superpower of the day. We probably on paper didn't stand much of a chance. This little rebellion was probably thought by most of the world going to be put down pretty quickly. But God saw us to victory. After men prayed, they got off their knees and then took to the field to actually seek God's providence in battle. That's absolutely right. So w would you say then, Patrick, that um, it, it is un-American to ultimately surrender to tyrants within America? Yes, and the founders echoed that thought, that uh, disobedience to tyranny is obedience to God. 
Right. And, and so we need to understand this here. Uh, and we're, we're, we have a podcast coming up here. We've got it, got it listed. We're going to go over Romans 13. So, so hold on to your Romans 13 questions. Yeah, that's very relevant to what we're talking about. But I, I think that we need to answer this. Uh, is, a, is it the government that is disobeying God or is it the people that are disobeying God when the government becomes tyrants? At that point, you know, you have a choice because your comfortable life or even your life itself <laughs> depends on you staying loyal to or at least silent in the face of government evil. As the people of Germany did in mass, and I'm not picking on Germany in particular, but it's a, it's a good history lesson recently that we can learn from. There were those in the church that actually opposed Hitler, and those people ended up either having to flee the country for their life or they lost their lives, whereas the majority of the church and the citizenry they may not have liked what was going on, and many did not, but rather than try to stand against it, which they thought would bring certain death on them, which it probably would have, because it did. They saw their neighbors disappear, entire families disappear in a night, never to be seen again. They chose to acquiesce to the evil of that government, and human nature is the same in our country. We've, especially these last several decades, we've saw the same things where Christians, rather than getting out of their comfort zone and leading their comfortable kind of self-centered lives, you know, go to church and do that, this could cause disruptions in my life. I could be arrested or whatever. They've chosen to remain silent when, when our government has perpetrated great evils on us, on this nation, as shaming us before God. And I'll tell you, as loving as God and merciful as He is, uh, His judgment comes on such a nation. That's absolutely right. And, you know, if you've been listening today and you really have been enjoying uh, what you've been hearing, um, I really encourage you to go to theshininglightministries.com and look at our Shining Light store and get Is America a Christian Nation by our very own Patrick, No Compromise with Evil Wyatt. And go ahead and get that. And you might want to go ahead and also get a primer on Islam. Uh, get both of those. Get them in a twin pack. That's the best deal. Uh, go ahead and, and get those. Uh, you can find them there uh, for a good price, 15 for both of them, 10 for just one. And once again, that's theshininglightministries.com, theshininglightministries.com. But Patrick, you said something that, that that's really, really important, and it really reminds me of a Bible verse. In fact, that Bible verse is Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, how uh, or, or excuse me, then Peter uh, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. Is it possible to obey a wicked government where they're performing wickedness? I understand wicked people do right things sometimes, mm -hmm. but is it possible to obey a wicked government where they're doing wickedness and God at the same time? Well, there's an easy way to put this. If the government said that um, we now have a new law that requires you to kill your firstborn child. Would people in mass go, yeah, I think that's, you know, government said I have to do it. I'm sure God doesn't mind that I would murder my own child, my own firstborn child. Obviously, that's a pretty easy call for most people. No, I would not, uh, I would not go along with that. I would resist that. In, in the background of, of Acts 529 was the apostles this is after christ had been crucified and risen again and ascended to heaven the apostles were going around telling people of this miraculous um, resurrection mm -hmm. and that christ was the messiah and the the government or the the religious religious jews the pharisees took them in custody and said you can't be doing this stuff they beat them right. and said now don't do this anymore um, this is our laws. You're violating our laws. You don't, we don't want you putting the blood of this man on our hands and, and blaming us for it. Keep your mouth shut. 
And then the, the apostles said, well, we ought to obey God rather than men. In other words, we're going to resist your decree. Yeah, we got thrown in jail. Yeah, we took a beating. And we may take a beating again, but we're going to go out there and do what we're commanded to do by God through his son, Jesus. That's right. And some of the people even lost their life. Now, I'm sure that, that one argument against this might be, uh, but that was just for preaching the gospel. That was just for preaching the gospel. Did God only command Christians to preach the gospel even in the New Testament, because we don't have time to really get into the Old Testament thing, uh, and, and so most people, a lot of Christians have have followed uh, Andy Stanley and completely uh, unhinged from the Old Testament. <laughs> yes, that's what he said. He's unhinged, all right. I can tell you that. Uh, but does the New Testament command us anything other than just preach the gospel? It does say, let your light so shine before all men, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, when you see that, and Jesus also said, you don't take a light and put it under a bushel. A light on a hill cannot be covered, or a city on the hill cannot be covered. So there's no time when you only let your light so shine before men sometimes. Right. A light shines all the time, or at least the purpose is when there's darkness, and we're in great darkness in this nation. Um, if we're not going to be that light, who will be? I mean, you can say, well, it's not my job, it's the pastor's job. Christ is not just saying to pastors this. This is a general uh, proclamation to all of us that claim the Christian faith. We're all to let our lights so shine before all men. That's absolutely right. We, we are also uh, not just to shine our light. Of course, that's a big thing on the Shining Light podcast. Yeah, we like to shine our light. That's right. This little light of mine, we're going to let it shine. Uh, but we're also to go and... Uh, to to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're, we're to pray. You know, you, I think of Daniel in the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel was thrown at the lion's den. Why? Um, because he prayed. Well, we have that same command to pray. In fact, it's even more so in the New Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say pray without ceasing, but it says that in the New Testament. And so you go and you look at this, and you, if there was a law that said we couldn't pray... Uh, Which is what Daniel was violating. Right. W- would it be right for us to obey the law of man... Or to obey the law of God? Well, man would say it's right to obey the law of man because this is what the government decrees. But God says, who's your first loyalty to? Who's your first love to? If it's to me, you obey my laws. That doesn't mean we nitpick about, well, this law is, you know, I I don't think I should pay this tax because, no, no, that's not the case. The case is, in the broader picture, have some discernment here. Um, and, And these things that God proclaims to us are important. The life of a baby is important. The sanctity of marriage is important. What they teach our kids in school is important. That's right. These things are absolutely important. They're absolutely vital. And we must, we absolutely must obey God rather than man. God is the ultimate authority. If we believe that God is higher than government, if we believe that God is God and that government is not God, but it gets its authority from God, which, by the way, when you go and you look at Romans 13, that's what you're going to find, that their authority comes from God, so therefore it must be within the bounds of God's rule. We're going to look at that in a future podcast. I'm excited. But we must obey God. In our preamble to the Constitution, so God delegates authority to us. We then delegated some authority to the formation of government. We, the people, delegated the authority to the government that they have today. And they've gone beyond that delegated authority. And it's we, the people, though, that have the ultimate authority over government. That's the, the theory of our constitutional republic. That's absolutely right. Well, for the Shining Light Podcast, this is Pastor Sam. And Patrick, no compromise with evil, Wyatt. And remember Ephesians 5.11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You hear him
talking about evolution. I saw something.